Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to episode 34 of Hello, Fellow Kids. Hello, fellow kids. Sorry, I was looking at the book and not paying attention. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Should we try to do an introduction this time? I'm Josh. And I am Mara, and we are hip children who read books. Except we are not children. We are adults who read children's books. And pay bills. Did you say in pay bills? Yeah, that's the adult part. That's fair enough. <laughs> For this episode, we read Philip Pullman's novella Clockwork, or All Wound Up. And this is one that I read probably 15 years ago and didn't really remember anything about. So at that point, it still qualified for a good book to read on the podcast. And this is typically the part where I ask Mara what she thought of it, but I'm going to hijack and say, regardless of what you thought of it, I love this. This is so my my thing. This is like this is like a heart book for me. Oh, um, I love it so much. I'm so. glad. I really liked it. It's not a heart book for me, but I found it charming. It's so charming. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. I had forgotten that Philip Pullman is probably one of the more talented writers that we have right now. Like between this and the his dark materials and stuff like that. He's got a lot of good ideas, and I, I like that he, he plays with stuff, so. Yeah, it's pretty cool. For anyone who's not familiar with Clockwork, it's super short. Uh, it's about a hundred and... It's like a hundred and six or something numbered pages, but there are a lot of uh, full-page illustrations, and the formatting of the book is very small. So it's a super quick read, but it's about uh, several intertwining stories that interact like clockwork and you just kind of set the whole thing up and you just watch it go and it's it's pretty cool pretty cool but yes but you enjoyed it as well yeah i did i did i really i really enjoyed it it's a lot of fun and it's it's pretty it's pretty um my copy is your copy copy i got i got at a uh used bookstore in um long beach washington and it is stamped inside with property of Federal Way School District. And then it has, it's marked on the front with five out of 30, which I don't know what that means. If that means like May 30th, or if this is how many AR points I would get for I, this particular book. No, I, I would guess that it was a classroom set. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Cause Obvious. this is pretty, this is pretty beat up. Is it like, and is I it only, like a crappy little trade paperback yes okay so i have i have a really cute little hardcover of it Uh, this book deserves to be in a cute hardcover yeah and the uh there's uh like an embossing on the actual binding of a little clock face that's like just ornate enough to be interesting without being like really muddled by the fact that it has to be imprinted on the book it's just it's cute yeah my copy's pretty ugly um (laughs) I got it on the strength of the Philip Pullman name because I have also read the His Dark Materials series as well as the Sally Lockhart series that he wrote, and I liked those. So I thought, hey, let's let's give this a shot. I've never heard of this. Uh, we have a mutual, I guess, for you former classmate who is currently reading the Sally Lockhart books and having a lot of fun with them. Oh, good. Yeah, they're enjoyable. There was only one. Where I was stressed out the whole time and felt sick and hated it. 
but not hate hate. I don't know. It just went on too long with like being stressy. It was yeah. like a lot of gaslighting and I hate that. So I'm like, no, stop it. Oh boy. So clockwork is only broken up into three sections. Um, yeah, we can just go ahead and do it in the parts. Okay. That's how I broke mine up. Okay. I was like writing a part one, part two and my pages are stuck together with syrup. I, I, I had pancakes and was working on, I'd finished the book, but I kind of dragged my feet on doing the notes. Which is actually pretty, like, perfect pretty, for this Pretty on story. the nose for this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as you guys will find out once we get synopsizing. So go ahead. Let's, okay. let's tell them about Clockwork. Okay. So we actually start with a little introduction. And uh, it's called A Note About Clocks. And I just want to pull a small section from that. Once you've wound up a clock, there's something frightful in the way it keeps on going at its own relentless pace. Its hands move steadily around the dial as if they had a mind of their own. Tick-tock, tick-tock, bit by bit they move, and tick us steadily on toward the grave. Some stories are like that. Once you've wound them up, nothing will stop them. They move on forward till they reach their destined end, and no matter how much the characters would like to change their fate, they can't. This is one of those stories. And now that it's all wound up, we can begin. And... Just real quick, I I think that that helps. That gets you, you an idea of what the voice is going to be for this story, and it has that classic "once upon a time" almost sort of voice to it. It's it, it's a, not quite as overwrought as some of those would be, but it definitely has that old folktale style storytelling method to it. Yeah, um, Chris, uh, Christopher Lee should be narrating this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or like an like an Ian McKellen type, or anybody yes. from that group. Yes, yes. If you have played a wizard in <laughs> a Lord of the Rings film, uh, you are qualified to read this. <laughs> yes. Part one. Our story takes place in the sleepy German town of Glockenheim and begins one winter night at the White Horse Tavern. Herr Ringelman, the clockmaster, has just entered with his apprentice Carl. They are celebrating the last night of Carl's apprenticeship. Tomorrow, per tradition, Carl will add a clockwork figure to the town's great clock. And when the clock chimes ten, everyone will gather to see his addition added to the parade of other figures. Also present in the tavern is Fritz, a young writer who will be reading one of his signature scary stories tonight. The patrons can't help but notice that Carl is in a particularly gloomy mood. Fritz inquires, and Carl reveals to him that he couldn't do it. He couldn't make a figure. Tomorrow, everyone will gather and see nothing has changed at the clock. Carl is about ready to kill himself from embarrassment, and Fritz, ever the optimist, tries to cheer him up. Carl is inconsolable, however. And anyways, what would a writer know about spending months trying to create something that just isn't working out? Well, anyways, it's time for Fritz to read his new story, appropriately named Clockwork, which he hasn't actually figured out an ending for, but figures he'll just wing it. Fritz's Story a few years ago, in a winter much like this one, Prince Otto took his young son Florian hunting, along with Otto's old friend, Baron Stelgratz. They were supposed to be gone a week, but their sledge returned just two nights later, driving wildly. The palace guards investigated and found that the driver was Prince Otto, dead and frozen but for his arm, still mechanically whipping the horses. Tucked inside the sledge was Florian safe and sound. Stelgratz? He was nowhere to be found. They brought the sledge inside, and the royal physician performed an autopsy on Otto, where he discovered that the prince's heart had been removed and replaced with clockwork, which also drove his arm. He removed the attachments and the arm stops, but the mystery remained. He declared the prince's cause of death as apop- apoplexy. He declared the prince's death as apoplexy, 
and sent for the mysterious experimenter Dr. Kelmenius to help him understand the strange situation. Now, at this point, another patron enters the tavern. It is Dr. Kelmenius himself dragging in a covered sledge. The audience is horrified to see this character apparently come to life, and Fritz chucks his story into the fire. The tavern quickly empties, except for Carl. Kalmenius seems to know about Carl's predicament and offers to help. He explains that the future, much like clockwork, is set in motion by the actions of the present. He asks Carl what he most desires, and Carl says, of course, he wants a figure for the tower. At this point, Kalmenius opens his sledge and reveals a perfect clockwork knight named Sir Ironsoul. Carl marvels at it, but remains skeptical. He wants to make sure it really is clockwork and not powered by a goblin or a devil or the knight comes to life. He advances on Carl and backs the boy into a corner, ready to stab him with his sword. Kalmenius whistles a tune and the knight stops. He explains that Sir Ironsoul comes to life whenever he hears a specific word, devil, and won't rest until he kills the person who spoke the word. However, Sir Ironsoul loves the tune The Flowers of Lapland, and it is the only thing that can put him to rest again. Carl figures if he properly attaches Sir Ironsoul to the clock, he won't be able to hurt anyone even if the trigger word is used, so he covers the knight and heads off to prep the clock. Unbeknownst to anyone else, the bartender's young daughter comes back down into the tavern. She's disappointed that she didn't get to hear the end of Fritz's story. She remarks that it seems like Fritz conjured Kelmenius out of thin air, just like Dr. Faust conjured the devil. And behind her, a clockwork knight approaches, his sword raised to strike. What I kind of wanted to address to begin with is how we kind of see a couple different ways of how we deal with creativity or rather the lack thereof. There's the school of thought of Carl, just like, I'm just not going to do anything and moan about not being able to do it, where the Fritzes of the world are just like, I'll just start something and see where it takes me. And I was like, why couldn't Carl have done that? Right. I even wrote down a few ideas he could have done if you were like that blocked. You could have like played a little game like the next thing I see, I'll turn that into clockwork no matter what it is, or just begin something and see where the process takes you. Yeah. And then he could have just ended up with like some like weird avant-garde type thing like a couple hundred <laughs> years early for that particular <laughs> art movement. Or he could have just gone to Herr Ringelman and been like, I'm completely stopped. I can't, I can't think of anything because I'm sure he's an old man. He's had a whole a long career. He's probably had dry spells himself and could have been like, okay, here's what I always do to try to look at things fresh. So yeah. I thought that's interesting. And also, sis, this is uh, National Novel Writing Month, so when he said to Fritz, like, you just sit at a table with your pen and it writes everything and you don't have to worry about it, I was like, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> I'm going to kill you so hard for saying that. Bless Fritz for just kind of sitting there like, um, no, but okay. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely it, it is interesting the 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 different schools of because I I have a tendency for a lot of things to do the kind of like if I don't have a perfect idea I can't start at all and I know that that's incredibly not helpful but it's the same thing that will cause me to stand and stare at a bookshelf for a half hour trying to debate what to pick off the shelf and read and then just not reading anything when it's like. At this point, you could be, you know, 30 pages into anything. Yeah. So 
No, I always think it's better to just start it. Just yeah. start the thing. Like you never know. Like it, sometimes it's just so kind of like sometimes the idea does come to you and you're like, okay, I have a good idea of where I want this to go. And you kind of like arrange it as it goes along. And like, like I get that, like having like the whole idea, like maybe you don't have it like set in stone, but you at least have like a vague watercolor of what you want to do. Yeah. But and but sometimes, yeah, you're just coming up with zero. So just kind of get going. And some, some of the funnest stuff I've ever written has been like, just sit down and get going. Yeah. See where it, and then it's like, oh, that person, that character is interesting. I went through what their deal is. I'm like, no, no, we'll find out later. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of just little bits of this that I really like, but I'm going to try and narrow it down to just a couple of the really good. But boy, by the time you just get like 10 pages in, uh, there has been a lot of like, I should just kill myself. I should drink myself to death. I should throw myself into the river. I'm like, geez, man. Good grief. <laughs> I wrote, like, he's sulking in a corner and sipping codeine like it's beer. He's man of the year, but still has problems. Yeah, I went all full juice world on that. <laughs> there was, like, a couple different instances here where I thought of... I had to look up apoplexy. Apoplexy. Apoplexy, I'm sorry. It's okay. It took me, like, 30 years to say that word right. So I don't expect you to get it instantly. <laughs> It's not something that we use nowadays. We don't right. use that term. So well, when, yeah, when I looked it up, it seemed like it was kind of a catch-all. Like it's it was like it could be a hemorrhaging of the brain caused by head trauma or a stroke or like several other things. And so I, it seems like it was just it was more from before they had distinguished the cause of a lot of that stuff. Yeah, it was just a complicated way of saying I don't know, man. It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> Head stuff. Just like I think every single like gut ailment was just indigestion. And then before all of that, it was just the humors. Yeah, you're not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. I do note that the Burgo Master. Uh, I I changed his name to the Burger Master. Oh, see, I thought I thought Burgo Master, and I was picturing him the whole time as if you ever saw that Rankin and Bass christmas special like santa claus is coming to town there's a character in that called the burgomaster and uh i just pictured him that stop motion animation <laughs> character <laughs> actually i did kind of picture this as a stop motion animation film like in the same style as um those puffs commercials for this you know a nose and need deserves puffs indeed in this particular kind of claymation type stop motion people if you know what I'm talking about, and from your resounding silence, I, I'm thinking no. <laughs> I'm, but, try, I'm trying to think if it's going to pop into my head, but no, I don't think I know the, the classic Puffs stop-motion cinematic universe. Well, I'm going to look it up on YouTube and send it. Send it. Okay. Okay. But uh, in the meantime, why don't you go ahead and discuss whatever you need to discuss? Sure. That sounds so dismissive and bitchy. You go ahead and discuss what you need to discuss. I see a YouTube Link yes. from Mara. Let's check that real quick. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You've seen, you know the style I mean now. Yes, now that I've seen the screenshot, yes, I do. Yeah, that is totally how I was picturing this entire thing. <laughs> Even the illustrations sort of look like this. Yeah, which, by the way, illustrations, good. I, they're, they're, it's kind of like the, um, the unicorn book where I can tell the illustrations are good, but I kind of wish they had 
some extra pop from like you know like better paper or or something like that but i would have liked the more if they weren't in this crappy format it's the same thing that the same problem i had with the unicorn pictures was that it's kind of too dark to see what's yeah happening and uh i could tell that it's well done and looks good it just was so copied cheaply but i'm kind of disappointed to hear that the nice hardback still doesn't really have i think it's just the fact that the contrast is just it's really difficult to get some of the detail because of how dark some of the spots are i like i don't know if these were originally made in black and white or not they're still really pretty so calminius comes in which just i love it's just one of those things where it's just like conceptually like that's so it's so something i love where like Stories happening, and then all of a sudden, the boundary between what's real and what's not is just broken, and everybody's like, what the heck is going on? Um, His response was totally perfect. Like, you should just throw all your papers in the fire and yell, like, don't trust that guy, and run out. There's no no other reasonable way to respond. (laughs) Like, what else are you supposed to do? Right? So, Calminius is explaining to him the whole, like, once you wind up the future by uh you know the the actions of the present it, it just it has to be that way and it's this whole like if you if you've decided that something is going to happen it has to happen there's no other way and so you can you can rig the future for yourself and i wrote it's like the secret but less crazy <laughs> it's that self-help thing where it's like there's a law of attraction where if you put out vibes that you'll win the lottery the lottery oh, will come to you. Fritz totally manifested his character. <laughs> like, I don't know how this ends. Maybe if he's actually here, he can tell me. <laughs> then was like, wait a second, no! The music that Calminius wish- whistles, which is called The Flowers of Lapland. I did not look up if that's a real tune or not, but I did because the musical notation is written in the book. I did send it over to Ben. He provides our music. Uh, I just sent him a picture, and he he responds with, "It's not even good, and it's beamed oh. improperly." Also, there's a redundant bar line before the final double bar, so that's his take on it. <laughs> He's pretty harsh to the people of Lapland, <laughs> right? Maybe they don't write out music the way that we do. Okay, you don't know the Laplandians, especially since that's all vaguely Germanic, and I thought they all basically invented that. Like, because all the best composers are kind of from that area. Yeah, well, they did. They they actually they learned how to write music before they made up like their own written language. Actually, Mozart did that when he was little. He's like, okay, here, um, I know music, so this is the thing I wrote. And they're like, there already is like a music thing, and he's like, there is. I just assumed there was. <laughs> so I was like, I want to know what Mozart says because maybe that's more intuitive and makes more sense. Right. Yeah, I really want to know what his system was. Well, he did it when he was a kid, right? So maybe it's like in crayon and like each note is a different color. (laughs) Clever little Wolfie. Yeah, we need to go back in time and be all like, can you tell us? And he'd be all like, I don't know what they're just saying. Because he'd be like speaking, (laughs) I don't know, like German, I guess. I'm just picturing this little kid being like, no, you need to play a green flat. Green flat. (laughs) You're 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 way too purple right now. It's like, I didn't come back in time to learn this just for a kid in a powdered wig to yell at me. (laughs) I did like how well, like, the royal physician just was like, he died of apoplexy, and then everyone was just like, okay. And, like, there's no, that that story didn't get out about, we opened him up and he was full of clockwork, dude. 
Like, that was, people knew how to shut up back then. Yeah, well, I mean, plus it was, there were hundreds of years there where a, whoever was deemed the, the medicine person could say literally whatever they wanted and everybody would be like, of course, of course. That sounds right. He did <laughs> die of demons in the butt. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I'm just picturing now where they'd be like, how long has he been a robot? Is the whole royal family robots? Why don't we cut them up and find out? We don't like our robot overlords. Even though we didn't know that they were robot overlords for the longest time. But now that we know, we don't like them. They're farming us for our organs. Why? They're robots. Because of Russia. What? <laughs> because of G5. What? I mean 5G. Okay, but still what? Stop the counting. What? <laughs> Stop the count. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> okay. Um, where this chapter ends actually makes, ju- like, if you were to read just part one by itself, it would actually be a pretty decent horror story. Like, it would just yeah. end there with the canvas falling and Sir Ironsoul raising his sword behind this poor yeah, girl. Yeah, he's just walking up to her like, stop. What the hell are you talking about? Get my pretty name out of your mouth. <laughs> it's like what I thought every single time. Yes, look at me being so up with it. That's a Billie Eilish song. <laughs> you got Billie Eilish and Juice World. Yeah. Holy crap. I know. It's almost like I know what's going on. Thanks to TikTok. <laughs> TikTok keeps us young. <laughs> Do you even have TikTok? I know I keep sending you like stuff just no, like, here's no. this funny thing. I watch everything you send me, but no, I don't have a TikTok. Yeah, I, I, you should just watch the pr- carefully curated TikToks that I sent to you. They're the best of the best. <laughs> it's all <laughs> and I ever do anymore is just send each other tick. Like our whole, if you looked at a whole transcript of our text conversations, it's all just TikTok links. <laughs> I haven't said a word to her in six months. <laughs> but I know she likes the dog who sings about the lip gangs hawk stuck on the teeth. <laughs> That's the best song in the world, just so you know. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, you should. It's way better than, um, what is it, The Leaves of Lapland? Yeah. With its, irre- what is it, irrelevant double bar at the end, whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with the guy who, like, got a master's about with mus- in music, so, you know. I mean, I'm not going to argue with the guy who did our theme music and all he charged me was a box copy of the card game Gwent. I don't even so, know what that is, so good deal, I guess. It's from the Witcher video game. They made, like, a, a card game based on the card game that you can play in there. And he was originally going to charge us for the for the theme music. I think he was going to charge us, like, or something like that. And then it took him forever, and he was like, you know what? How about just that card game that you have that costs you, like, 15 bucks to get? And I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't think it took him forever. I, maybe uh, I just don't remember that well. How long were we waiting for theme music? Well, I, th- I think when I, I think I told him about it, like, right when we were recording, like, the first episode, and I think he... Which first episode? The test episode that no one was supposed to hear, or the first yeah. episode that we f- we just gave up on and decided to release the test episode instead? I sent him a clip version of the Mrs. Frisbee episode. What? Like, okay. I didn't, I was, I was like, he probably doesn't need to listen to an hour and a half of this, so I trimmed it down to, like, 15 minutes of, like... Here's what it sounds like when we're doing, like, the actual discussion, and then here's some of our joke stuff, and here's the intro and outro, so there's kind of the vibe of the episode, and I 
gave him that, so he knew kind of, like, what emotional range there would be for making the theme song. And then I was like, but also just think, like, the Buffy theme song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've been told uh, by a former classmate that the song also kind of has, like, overtones of, like, reading Rainbow in there. I'm so fine with that. I was like, I don't hear it, but I'm glad that's what you're picking up on, because we kind of just wanted that 90s feel. Have you seen that there's a there's an online petition for LeVar Burton to be the new host of Jeopardy? I suggested that, and my mom was like, isn't he old? I'm like, mm, he's not 80 years old like Trebek was, so... He's not 80 and cancerous. Yeah, so I feel like we got two steps ahead in the game. That makes it sound dismissive of uh, Alex Trebek. Alex Trebek was a, a great dude. Yeah, wanna... he was the host of that show my whole life. Yeah. Um, LeVar, is, LeVar is 63. So he's got he's got plenty of plenty of years of hosting. I was saying dismissive because I was dismissive of my mother's argument of Lafayette right. Burton not being a good choice. That's what I was dismissive <laughs> of. I don't have time for bad opinions, for <laughs> hot takes that are actually cold takes. I know it's no nuance November, but go suck a fuck, Lafayette <laughs> Burton. <laughs> Part two. Yay. <laughs> By the way, it I didn't intend to do that. Well, I kind of intended to do it as a joke for the third one. But when I was writing this out, I wrote part one with the numeral one, and then I wrote out the word part two, T-W-O. So then for the third one, I did Roman numerals, just so each one is not like the others. Part two. If you released a movie series, would you do that? Uh, depends on depends on like the tone of the movie series. I think it'd be funnier, like, the serious, the f- most serious the film is. Right. So they're like, why did he do that? And then have, like, drastically different designs for, like, each cover. So then those people who collect sets and they're like, I want them all to match, are just ripping their hair out and screaming. Which is really funny, because that would be me, so I, I would be playing myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, you get a set made up for yourself that's all matching. <laughs> The, cust- the the director's custom edition. Yeah, the director's custom edition. It's all nice and uniform. And, but by the way, the design for that is also different from all of the other ones. Yeah, and it's and you have like a, the instruction that you're the only one who gets it. It's like the opposite of that ultra black that everyone except that particular man can have. Do you remember? I don't remember the guy's name, but there was like some guy who invented some color tone and then charged way too much money for it so then someone invented a color and said everyone can have it for this low amount of money except for that guy who who invented the color (laughs) i sound insane but like this happened and it was so funny it's like the saltiest thing in the world and that became a meme for a while like everyone can look at this except for whatever that dude's name was uh that actually does sound familiar i i think i recall seeing that when it first happened yeah so that'd be for you with your movie set making sure it was all the same and you're like roman numerals because it looks the most classy (laughs) part two prince otto and his new wife princess mariposa are beloved by all and the public is thankful that there will soon be an heir to carry on their legacy however they are unable to conceive a child mariposa wishes on the cathedral clock to have a child as sound as a bell and as true as a clock, and by the end of the year, she gives birth. However, the boy dies immediately after, and Mariposa hangs between life and death. Determined to save his son, Otto takes the baby up to the workshop of Dr. Calmenius. He demands Calmenius make him a child who will not die, and Calmenius fashions a lifelike clockwork son from the special silver found near his workshop. 
Otto brings the boy back home, and Mariposa recovers upon seeing her beautiful son, who they name Florian. Florian is, for all purposes, a normal boy until his fifth year when he falls strangely ill. The royal physician can't figure it out, so Otto takes Florian back to Calminius. Calminius explains that clockwork runs down by its nature, and without a heart, Florian will continue to weaken and die. Otto rushes off with Florian, desperate to find a heart, and doesn't hear the rest of Calminius's instructions. The heart that is given must also be kept. Otto decides his friend Baron Stelgratz will gladly give his life for the royal family, so he arranges a so-called hunting trip, wherein he will take Florian and Stelgratz up to Kelmenius's workshop. However, on the way, they are attacked by wolves. Stelgratz sacrifices himself to protect Otto and Florian, and Otto is suddenly without a heart for his son. They reach Kelmenius, and Otto decides to give up his own heart for Florian. Kelmenius performs the operation, and also rigs Otto's body to drive the sledge containing Florian back to the palace. Florian is returned home and continues to grow strong until his tenth year when he falls ill again. The royal physician determines it to be an inherited heart defect, and suggests Florian be taken out for another hunting trip, as that seemed to help last time. Mariposa arranges for one of the palace grooms to take Florian, and pays the groom in advance. However, once away from the palace, the groom decides to take the money and run. He abandons Florian, who can do nothing but walk through the snow until he finds an inn that will be familiar to us. He reaches the door and begins to sing a song, a familiar song, the only song he has left. It's the Flowers of Lapland. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, the, this I love this because I had the same reaction I had when I saw Brave. So when there's like, oh, he's a heart, but he's be kept. I'm like, oh, you just need to love your kid. Okay. And then I'm like, wait, you're going to actually go sacrifice a heart. Oh, boy. It's just like <laughs> brave when it's like, you must mend what was broken. And I was like, oh, cool. You just need to go apologize to your mom. And she's like, I need to fix the tapestry. And I'm like, what? No, you just go go tell mom you're sorry. <laughs> and like my my ex is next to me in the theater going, shh. <laughs> so I'm just like, why? Because it'd be the world's shortest movie. <laughs> she just was like, I'm Mom, sorry I was a bitch. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want my freedom. <laughs> Come to our podcast for the bad Scottish accents. It's actually not that bad. It's pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, as far as like her specific. Oh, yeah, I can't. I'm, I'm just doing this off the cuff. Like yeah. trying to if, if I played it first and then imitated it, it'd be better. But I really just want her to like I, I would love to have a program that just narrates everything in my life with Kelly McDonald's voice. I love her voice so much. If you could change your fate. The introduction basically says this is a story where it's made of three parts and no one person saw the entire story. And so this is just this is the story as near as I can tell it. But I love this where it's like a partial overlap where some of it is new information and then some of it is clarification or an alternate perspective of something you've already seen. And the way it just kind of, like, stacks to get to the truth is really fun for me. Yeah. Um, so I loved seeing this, and, you know, there's Fritz's sort of storified version of it, and then the closer to what actually happened, but because he didn't have some of that information, it's a little bit different. And it's just, it's a fun exercise, and it's also, like, that's how it works. Like, when we tell stories, we can only tell our perspective of yes. the story, and so... Like, your memory and my memory of the same event will be very different. Yeah, Um, we've experienced that several times in this podcast. We're like, my tone was not like that. And like, well, that's how it came across to me because I wasn't in your head, Joshua. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I was thinking 
while working on this of the time where we sat down to record and I had not, I, I was like, oh, I thought you were doing the synopsis. And there was like this split second where you were just on the road to being angry. You weren't angry yet, but you were almost there. And you went, are you kidding me? And I said, no, but I always write notes in the synopsis anyway, so I'm covered. I can still do the episode. And you're like, okay, good. But you could have easily gotten really, really angry with me. <laughs> I don't think I would have gotten angry. Like I can see, I can see that being like a frustration, but I really don't get angry with people. Well, with, I get for me, anger and frustration are always intimately entwined. So ah, okay. what I was picking up was uh, picking up of oh, okay. frustration was okay, anger. So I'm just like, I, Uh-oh, I just don't want any voices to be raised. It's okay. Cause I actually have something to read today. <laughs> If you ever want to see me get angry, have me play a video game where I feel like the controls aren't matching what I am doing. I get so mad at electronics, but I don't really get mad at people. I have syrup in my hair. (laughs) I ran my fingers through my hair hair. and I'm like, why is it getting stuck? I'm like, because there's like I had pancakes. I, I don't remember spilling any of my syrup, but it's all in my hair. My pages are stuck together. I have some on a book I didn't even have upstairs. I don't know what's happening. Have I mentioned the time when I went to a local convention and someone sprayed maple syrup perfume on me? No. This was in high school and there was like a super local anime convention. And I don't, I'm not really an anime person. I don't watch much anime, but I do enjoy reading manga and like, I'm familiar with some stuff, so I was mostly just going to hang out with the people who are also going. And this one girl, it was one of those situations where I didn't dislike her, but I think she thought we were more friendly than we were. Um, She thought she was playing, like, a fun friend prank on me, and right when we got into an elevator, she had bought this, like, spray bottle of maple syrup perfume, and she just drenched me with it. And I don't really like the smell of maple syrup. So I just got to walk around smelling like it all the rest of the uh, convention. And so I would walk by and people would be like, did you just have pain? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Hey, can you tell me where the pancake bar is? I didn't know there was a pancake bar here. There isn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's nothing worse than those tangential friends who think that they're more... Yeah, but it's okay because I am i was the tangential friend to somebody else in the group, so oh, I'm pretty sure we yeah. were all just, like, cycling through, and all of us thought we were better friends with somebody else than we were. Totally, yeah, I, I have been the tangen- tangential friend as well, so, I mean, I'm not, like, throwing stones or anything, but... Yeah. Yeah, those folk who kind of hang out with your friends but aren't really your friends, and you're just like, I'm sorry, but why are you here... Don't spray any of that maple syrup on me or I will murder you. Maple syrup, the scent of tangential friends. (laughs) 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 Oh, God. Okay, did I have anything else to say? That uh, basically Florian was screwed because he needs to be, it sounds like he needs to be like loved by somebody and then he gets to be a real boy. And he just doesn't have that, especially not from his parents, because his mom's just all like, I look really pretty holding a baby. (laughs) Right? I look, like, really pretty when I'm in mourning. So, like, if you could just step aside so everyone can see my black dress. Thanks. Uh, She's kind of the worst. 
but not really, because the worst is Carl. I realized uh, about halfway through this when I was reading it, uh, and I wrote something about Prince Otto, and then I was like, Otto! Otto! Like, A-U-T-O, like, automatic, like, the way his arm is just... I thought you were going to get excited about it being a palindrome. (laughs) It's the same going forwards and backwards. Um, also, I think it's kind of creepy how, like, the doctor is just, he's all like, you need to make me a baby, and he just has the goods to do that. Like, there's not even a, like, oh, this is completely unprecedented. It's just like, okay, baby, coming up. <laughs> you know? I'm like, how long has he been able to do this? Has he just been waiting for someone to ask, and is like, I can make you, baby? Couldn't he have just made a whole army and taken over the whole town? Like, there's an army of babies? <laughs> He's actually the, um, is it the adversary? Is that what he's called in Fables? Yeah, the adversary. He's the adversary. Yeah, basically. Of this baby army. <laughs> <laughs> I made a note here, and I, I'll just read it. So the, the section that I highlighted was when Otto realizes that the only option in his mind is to give up his own heart for Florian, and so it says, uh, there was only one solution. Prince Otto realized he had to sacrifice himself, and he was ready. The dynasty was more important than anything else, more important than happiness, than love, than truth, than peace, than honor, far more important than his own life. Prince Otto would give up his heart, cold, fanatical, and proud as it was, for the sake of the future glory of the royal house. Is that Philip Pullman being kind of sassy about the fact that there's still a basically useless monarchy i would Um, say yeah because i know that he is a pretty like politically outspoken figure so i was like are you making some digs am i picking up am i am i smelling the maple syrup that the rock is cooking here (laughs) actually come to think of it i think christopher eccleston could narrate this story because he's very anti-monarchy himself (laughs) so he'd get a kick out of it uh have you seen He has gotten real sassy pants on Twitter. Like there was this uh, picture of the queen wearing like all the, you know, jewels and shit and her like crown and this big, like ostentatious, ridiculous crown that I looked at and immediately thought F you. But and then uh, Christopher Eccleston's comment was the head parasite with her idiot hat. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you need to be my best friend like right now. That's pretty great. Yeah, in this day and age, we don't need monarchies anymore. Stop it. It's a waste of money. This isn't specific to part two, really, but I just remembered, and I don't know, I don't know if this was unintentionally uh, inspired by this story, but in college, obviously creative writing major, and so once I finally got into the actual creative writing classes, one of the projects that I did was I basically wrote kind of a folktale style story uh, that I called the Clockwork Prince, but he he wasn't made of clockwork. Um, or it wasn't called the Clockwork Prince, it's called the Engineer Prince, because he's not clockwork, he's an engineer. <laughs> but anyways, the ruling family was all, they were basically clockwork technicians, and so they were they were constantly uh, inventing new things for the, the, the people and stuff. And then the baby prince gets kidnapped and raised in a, a tower far away. And then uh, there's this, uh, uh, there's this knight and she has to go rescue him. And it was kind of a, it was like a gender inversion, but also like, I was thinking about like how in Disney films, all of the princesses are like really fleshed out characters and the princes tend to not be. 
And it's like, it's cool that there's like three dimensional female characters, but I want to have three dimensional of both. And so I was trying to like, I was thinking of that, but I realized uh, upon reading this and the whole like Otto and Florian and all of that, I was like, was I like bringing that with me? And I didn't even think about it. But yeah, I wrote a story about clockwork, uh, engineer, monarchy people, and it was fun. That's all I have to say. Was that like your final project? Uh, it was my final project for that year, yeah. You didn't just uh, they're like, like, I don't have an idea, so I'm not going to do anything. Like some people. <laughs> it was like, we had to write, we had to do like two large projects and then like weekly short exercises. And so my first project was, it was like, it has to be, it has to be inspired by a specific feeling or event in your life, but it doesn't have to be an exact retelling of it. You can kind of do it however you want, but you need to pull from your own life in some way. And then the second one was like, just do whatever. This one's more of just a write whatever you're feeling like. Uh, it doesn't even have to be like traditionally formatted, just get stuff on paper. And so for that one, that's when I did the, the engineer prints. The first one was when I wrote, was me writing about when I got lost on a mountain. I remember that story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you guys want to hear that story, I think it was one of the Fable Haven episodes, so go to it. <laughs> Which there's three now, holy crap. Yeah, and I think one will be coming up pretty soon, soonish at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Ready for part three? Part, part three. Our conclusion. Let's bring it on home. Bring it, bring it home, Gretel. Part three. Sir Ironsoul stops inches from Gretel as Florian's song comes through the door of the inn. Gretel recognizes Florian as the boy from the story and runs to the fireplace to find the end of the story so everything can be put right. She discovers that Fritz never wrote an ending and sets off to find him. Meanwhile, Carl finishes preparing the clock tower and returns for the night. When he finds a second figure as well, a lifelike boy, he decides Florian would be an even more impressive figure to put in the tower. And Sir Ironsoul? He would make an excellent accomplice. One who could help him gain fortune and power without Carl ever having to lift a finger. Able to kill anyone Carl wished, as long as they said the trigger word. Awash with these possibilities, Carl picks up Florian and rushes to the tower. Gretel reaches Fritz's lodging and finds the writer packing up, ready to leave this whole mess behind. He reveals that the story up to this point came to him in a dream, which is why he couldn't write anything more. He'd set all this in motion, but now all he can do is let it sort itself out. Gretel sighs and leaves. Carl, having attached Florian to the clock, returns for Sir Ironsoul, but is startled by the inn's black cat, Putsy. In surprise, he speaks the trigger word and cowers, unable to remember the song as Sir Ironsoul advances. Gretel returns to the inn and finds Sir Ironsoul, sword bloody, standing over Carl's dead body. She grabs the key to the clock tower from Carl's hand and races to the top, where she finds Florian bolted to the mechanisms. She can't free him, and he seems to be getting cold, so she wraps her cloak around both of them and waits with him until morning. The next morning, Carl's body is found, but before the investigation can properly begin, it's time to unveil the new clock figure. The clock strikes ten, and all the previous figures appear. Archangel Michael, Saint Wolfgang, Death itself. Before a young boy and girl appear, clutching each other and marveling at the view. The innkeeper recognizes Gretel, and both she and Florian are brought back down. And in lieu of uh, the last synopsis part, I'm actually just going to read the last couple of paragraphs to finish it out here. And very soon, the two children were safely on the ground. Two children, because the prince wasn't clockwork anymore. He was a child as real as any other, and so he remained. The heart that is given must also be kept, as Calmenius had been about to say to Prince Otto. But the prince didn't listen, did he? 
No one could guess where the little boy had come from, and Florian couldn't remember. Presently, everyone accepted that he had been lost, and they had better look out for him, so they did. As for the metal knight with the blood-stained sword, Herr Ringelman took it away to his workshop to examine closely. When they asked him about it later, he could only shake his head. I don't know how anyone expected that to work, he said. It's full of miscellaneous bits and pieces, and they're not even connected up properly. Broken springs, wheels with cogs missing, rusty gears, worthless rubbish, all of it. I do hope Carl didn't make it. I thought better of him than that. Well, my friends, it's just a mystery, and I don't suppose we'll ever get to the bottom of it. Nor did they, because the one person who might have been able to tell them the truth was Fritz, and he had been scared so badly that he'd left town before the sun rose, and he never came back. He fled to another part of Germany, and he was going to stop writing fiction altogether, until he found he could earn lots of money by making up speeches for politicians. As for what happened to Dr. Kelmenius, who can say? He was only a character in a story, after all. And if Gretel knew more than anyone, she said nothing about it. She had lost her heart to the prince and kept it too, which was how he came to be turned from clockwork into boy. So they both lived happily ever after, and that was how they all wound up. I don't... I'm going to see if I can figure out why as we're talking about it. But I love just the bit. As for what happened to Dr. Kalmanius, who can say? He was only a character in a story after all. I love the, like, I don't know, the, the, the mystery of that. The like, what do you mean? He was never there. Yeah. But he was. But he was, like, yeah. This, uh, like how all of this just kind of came to Fritz in a dream. I just had a really vivid dream um, last night. Uh-huh. Or early this morning, I guess. But it was like, really, it's, it's really wild. So- sometimes I have these dreams that make no sense. And other times, like, I guess it still doesn't make sense. But like, it's at least interesting. So the one I had was, um, I was like at work and then we were all like outside the building, I think like for a fire drill or something. So we're all out there and then we all watch as like this mail truck comes sailing down the hill and we all see that there's no one behind the wheel. So we're like, Oh crap, what happened to the mail person? This is just, and so it like goes flying down the hill and it just runs over this woman and then smashes into a building. And you know, and we all go running over and of course the woman's dead. And uh, we find out that the um, mail carrier had, like, fallen out of their truck with, like, a heart attack, some kind of attack. So they'd fallen out of it. But this all happened because the woman who'd been hit by the mail truck had tried to mail some important piece of, like, information or whatever. And someone was trying to stop that from happening. And then I ended up with the envelopes. And I saw that, like, there was some kind of paperwork that wasn't completely filled out yet. So it's like, okay, I've got to finish mailing this because this is pretty important. It, but someone was after me for those papers. So I woke up and I'm like, that's kind of a cool premise for a story. And then, you know, I thought of this and went, never mind. Because I don't want to be at work and see a mail truck go flying down a hill for rails. Just like, no, no, no stories from dreams. Okay, I learned my lesson. <laughs> In my dream last night, I was listening to a hit song that doesn't exist. But the lyrics were, if you want to be in my heart again. You've got to get into this cardigan. <laughs> I dreamt of a hit song before, too. It was a rap song. <laughs> it was about solo fun times, and that's all we're going to say. <laughs> right. Doesn't that like kind of give you pause of like anything coming to you in a dream? Or it's like, if I write it, I better finish it, or else it'll come into the real world and finish that way. <laughs> Well, the problem is all of my best writing ideas have been dreams. I know, same. But then I always, I don't know, I always feel like I kind of stop. 
Like, I don't think I've ever seen um, a dream story come to fruition. Oh, well. I thought it was funny when, like, Gretel goes to the lodging house. And, like, the landlady's so mean. She's, like, the meanest person in this book. (laughs) Where she was all, like, she's griping about Fritz and him telling scary stories. And she's all like, I should give him notice for that. I'm like, you can't just kick someone out because you don't like that they tell scary stories for a living. That that's like an episode of Judge Judy that would never like hold up. It's so like, and then she was like, she's like, yeah, I have this light. No, you can't use it. Your eyes aren't old. Get up there. I know, and they're like millions of flights of stairs. This poor kid, like all she did all night was go up and down stairs. <laughs> at, at the end of the story, they're just like, I'm so glad you're safe and sound, but dear God, what happened to your calves? <laughs> They're as big as hams! <laughs> and she's all like, don't skip leg day. <laughs> and then she's just like, she steps away, but each step like launches her eight feet. <laughs> so she can get the best seats at that Judge Judy episode when Fritz sues the landlady for wrongful eviction. <laughs> he writes scary stories that frightens the whole town. Madam, you cannot put him out of the house for what he does as an occupation. <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was clockwork. It's super short. It's like I read it. I read an entire one of those like 40 page sections while waiting for my bus and my bus wait. I think it was 15 minutes. So you can read like three pages a minute in it. Yeah. I, I read it most of the time that I was reading. I, I was reading it in the dark and cold, so like that worked really well. I know, yeah. Ones, like, the atmosphere. It's been well. so dark and icky that I was just like, "This is the perfect time to be reading this." Yeah, I would like to put it in the five star range. How do you feel? Oh, uh, I was more like four, but I would not object to it being in five. I mean, we're still we're still pretty uh, limited on our fives. Yeah, we're still like a. Like, two a year. <laughs> That's how you know it's really a five, because really, really excellent things don't come along all the time. Yeah. That's why I'm always... I say it every episode, but I really am suspicious of people who give fives out to everything. It's like, do you, how can you, like, think everything's perfect? It's not. You yeah. can really... like like That's why I use... I think they use fives the way I use fours. Just all like, I really had a good time reading that. At no time did it feel like a chore. It like, didn't piss yeah. me off. There was no elements that pissed me off. So four stars. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I've seen people on like YouTube who review books and they're all like, it was good. I only gave it four stars. I'm like, that's still a really good score. What are you talking that about? That sounds very three star to me, the way that you're yeah, saying that. Yeah, the way they're that. saying that. I was like, I think you're misusing the star system. Or maybe they just yeah. do it differently than I do, which isn't necessarily wrong yeah. or anything. But I feel like mine makes more sense. But I mean, yeah, there's the classic. I think it's I think it's IGN that does video game reviews. Oh, yes. There's always, there's always jokes about how they're like, it was absolutely atrocious. Seven out of ten. <laughs> Yeah, I've 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 heard a bit about the effed up world of video game reviewing yeah, and how you can how you useless. can wreck somebody's career and stuff with a seven out of ten. When it's just like, okay, then you're completely misusing this system. Then you should maybe you should change it. That's so true. Like, yeah, if you see a seven out of ten for a video game publication, it's it translates to don't even bother picking it up. Yeah, but for everything and else, like, you're like seven out of ten. Helpful. That's not bad. Yeah, it's like. That's 7 out of 10 is like, 
what I should expect with a decent game that I pick up. Like, I should be perfectly fine with that. Well, when you when you look at it, you think, like, a 5 would be a middle-of-the-road game, don't you think? Like, 5 would be, like, middle-of-the-road, like, I guess it did what it set out to do. I didn't... Yeah, 5 is, like, 5 is, like, a function. Yeah, like, there was... there. Yeah, it didn't... Gl- <laughs> it was a game. It didn't glitch. It just wasn't super... Like, maybe the art wasn't particularly innovative or anything, and there were things that were kind of clunky that yeah. could have been like, if they'd, you know, been given more time to finish... That's that's five, and then anything below that is like what you do with like oh boy this what do we do with this, and then and anything above five that has more room for nuance. Yeah, where you could say anything stuff. above a five is like hey good job, but it's like varying levels of good job. Yes, exactly. That's what that should be used for. Otherwise, if it's gonna be make or break with like a seven like that, then maybe you need to have a system where it's like one, two, or three. You know, yeah. if you're gonna yeah. be. Because otherwise, I feel like having it range from 1 to 10 is misleading. Yeah. It's like, what's the point of a 1 to 10 scale if you don't use half the scale? Exactly. Like, all those five-star reviews where it's like, uh, I don't know, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's why That's why when I'm, like, looking at stuff and, like, like I'll find something, I'm like, oh, that title sounds interesting. And then I'm like, but I have a huge backlog, so I'm going to look on Goodreads and see what people think of it. And then I scroll in and I see the, like, ratings breakdown. And I have to be like, okay... I'm going to ignore a lot of the five-star stuff. I need to see what people that gave it three and four stars have to say about it. Right. Because those are going to be, like, actually, like, nuanced, like, here, here's the sort of thing that it might appeal to, and here's what might be a problem. Whereas, like, oh my gosh, especially, like, teen fiction. Like, I don't want to disparage anybody, but there is a specific demographic of people who review teen, especially more female-oriented teen fiction that are just, like, Five star everything. Yeah. And it's just exhausting and useless. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're the people I'm going to give a pass to because, um, they're not like you and I who've had like years and years of reading and, and knowing our taste or whatever. But for them, they're just like, I'm reading this thing. I was really engaged with it. Like it got me through some crummy evenings when like my parents were dicks and all this. So five stars, five stars. And I'm just like, okay. Well, uh, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not thinking about the actual teenagers. I'm thinking about people in their like twenties. That's and 30s, who I'm. Like, that's who I'm begging on when I say like stop with the five stars all the time. The yeah. teenagers yeah, going five like, stars. This like, I like. I read it during my math class because I just could, didn't want to be parted from the story. Where you're just like, oh, I love you. That's so sweet that you read oh, through yeah, your math I'm, class. I, I am never. I'm never gonna bag on children being excited. About exactly. Because so so much of. Uh, of the world is like trying to beat that right. Out. I know you, I know that you're <laughs> that way too. I was more saying that for the benefit yeah. of whoever's listening. That yeah. that's that's who we're begging on is the yeah people it's, who. It's when you get to be it's when you get to be like thirty and it's like I'm not saying that you can't like stuff. It's cool to like stuff, but when you don't have any sort of like critical lens at all, and it's just like I thought they were hot, automatic five right. stars, and it's like I don't <laughs> I don't know if that tracks. I had a friend who was like that with films. I might have told the story on the podcast where she said like the best movie she'd ever seen was The Ugly Truth. And it's this uh, rom-com starring, uh, oh God, he's Scottish. He's either in rom-coms or he's in action films and it's never. Gerard Butler. Yes, Gerard Butler. Thank you. I was completely, I was picturing <laughs> him, but I could not, I was blanking on his name. So it was Gerard Butler and Katherine Heigl. And this was when I was in college and I was like home visiting my mom. This is back when Netflix still mailed to you it wasn't streaming yet 
And uh-huh. um, I was like, she was like, oh, well, I'm not sure what to put on my queue next. I've kind of watched everything. And I was like, oh, how about The Ugly Truth? My friend said that that was amazing. And then it came and we sat down to watch it. And we're like 10 minutes in and my mom's already kind of like looking over at me like I'm a huge asshole because it's not very good. And I was like, what was she saying? And I was like, I'm sorry. The person who told me that she saw this saw it in three theaters three times because she liked it so much. And then um, I discussed it with another friend and they were like, yeah, she's not very critical of movies. She figures that if she liked it, it's the best thing ever. And she only grew out of that. And you know what movie it was that made her grew out of it? It was that Star Wars movie everyone hated. The second one. What was it? The Last Jedi? Whatever it was. She was oh. finally all like, oh, maybe. That was like two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's what finally did it. That's the movie where she's like, wait, this isn't good. <laughs> And I was like, oh, this, uh, that's what made me just like decide like, oh, it had to have been terrible if she finally, if that's the movie that made her realize not all movies are amazing, you know? Which is fascinating because The Last Jedi has like 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I don't, I have no stake in Star Wars before I get into this. I've never finished a Star Wars film. Uh, my understanding of it is that it, a lot of people dislike it because it attempts to do things that people aren't used to in Star Wars movies. And so I wonder, I wonder if she still hasn't developed any sort of critical brain. It's just when something moves outside of their expectations of like the safe movie, then she's like, ah, ah, must be bad. She has seen every single movie made in the last 20 years. Every single one. I should, I should. And they're all the best. Yeah, and I should specify every single American made film. Because the foreign ones don't exist. Well, I mean, if you say every film ever, it's like, really? Every film ever? Right. So you're just like, right. well, there's probably stuff, you know, they made in Cambodia that she hasn't seen. So, okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry, pedant. But this was the movie that made, so that gave me pause and go like, oh. I don't think I'm gonna see this. And then I dipped out of the new Star Wars movies and <laughs> haven't been back. I am enjoying my choice. The only Star Wars movie I'd say I'd ever loved was like the one everyone hates of the original trilogy. The yeah. third one? If you want to be a really cool edgelord awesome person, the second one's supposed to be your favorite one ever. And they're like, that was the best Star Wars movie. And I'm like, really? I found it ultra boring, but okay. It's even more boring than the first one, which I thought was boring. Did I mention it's boring? <laughs> I like the third one because of all the creature puppets and stuff. I was like a small child watching that. I was like, I like the third one because it's the closest to a Jim Henson film. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, at the time, hey, did it did it have sand sharks? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, there was like the sand thing in the ground that ate people. I think it's too big. Yeah, it was way too big. It was not quite a sand shark. No, no luck finding out what the sand shark was. Nope, I was talking to it with some coworkers the other day. Still haven't figured it okay. out. One day. Yeah, I really had like. A lot of hope that it was Return to Oz, but you're all like, same, uh, this say- does seem like the same kind of nightmare fuel kind of, uh, genre, but no. I would have remembered those wheel people. Oh, those wheel people are so horrible. Oh, God. <laughs> My dad listens to this. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that he'll uh, text me and be like, was it this one? Because he, he would have been there. He would have, if it was that old, he would have been there showing it to me. I I wonder if it was like a commercial for Capri Sun or something, and not actually from a film. Uh, Like, specifically Capri Sun? No, because I remember liking those because they did the Alex Mack thing. 
They turn into like silver you liquid. You do more than one commercial. I mean, look at Geico. Oh, I just always remember the silver. But yeah, the Geico has the gecko and the like. Is to is a bird the hand worth two in the bush? Uh, which the I the woodchucks love. chucking wood. The little piggy going uh, wee 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 the whole way home. The caveman. The caveman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's lots of you could have lots of different formats for commercial. I'm just picturing like you know like the shark cooler or something like that where like kids running down a beach while like the sharks or whatever going after them. I might have just made that up. I don't know if shark cooler was a thing, but it sounds like something that would have existed in like 1996. Yeah, I mean it's putting together some real cool people words. So. <laughs> Extreme without the e at the front. Right. Yeah. Well, because X Games were so big during that time. And every yeah. little boy thought he was going to grow up and be, like, the next Tony Hawk. And there hasn't been the next Tony Hawk. It's just Tony Hawk still. Yeah. I got I got kind of into Tony Hawk, uh, but not when Tony Hawk was big. I got kind of into Tony Hawk on YouTube, like, last year. My favorite thing is Tony Hawk's Twitter feed where he says, like, people have been like, Ah, oh, your name's Tony Hawk, like the skater. And he goes, yeah. And they're like, what happened to him? And he's like, I don't know, probably around here somewhere. Of all these people knowing Tony Hawk and then... Not knowing he's Tony Hawk. It's my favorite genre. I love it. I don't I don't know if he uh, loves it, but <laughs> I love it. I like that he has a video series where he's just driving around and he sees people skateboarding. He'll just shout out his window. He'll be like, do a kickflip. And anybody who does a kickflip, he gives them a free skateboard. Wow. He's to just driving day, around with a bunch of signed skateboards. To this day, he has given no skateboards. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one's able to do a kickflip whenever other people are around. <laughs> I thought that was kind of an unspoken rule. That was legitness. <laughs> I love that kid so much. <laughs> I already forget. What did you send? What was? What did you send me? That was the hamster. Right. And then I was, and, and then it was like he like pooped and got extra air, and you're like got like three feet of air that time. <laughs> I was hoping you'd get the Napoleon reference. That is a very good movie. And I do, I do actually mean I think it's a very good movie because I think it takes a lot of craft to make something that awkward still be that entertaining. Right. I don't know. It just reminded me. I was just like, these kids are in high school. This feels like what the kids were like when I was in elementary. Yeah. And then I was like confused the whole movie. Like, what year is this? <laughs> right. It's like they have internet, but it looks. It's either the mid '80s or the mid 2000s. It's like, it's not anything Well, it felt else. like it was caught in 94. So I'm like, but they have <laughs> dial-up internet. Huh. And then they played that Backstreet Boys song. I'm like, okay, so that was fairly recent. What year yeah. is this? At the time. At the time. Let's be clear. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we are now 20, 20 years removed from that Backstreet Boys song. Yeah. But. Yeah, that, that uh, Backstreet Boys songs was from the, from their album Millennium, which came out in 2000. And Napoleon Dynamite came out in 2004. Four, four or five? Four? Yeah. Something like that. I, I know because I was living at home. I hadn't moved away yet. I remember that Napoleon Dynamite had the, uh, uh, it had the reputation for being the hardest movie for Netflix to suggest to people. It was the uh, one movie that the algorithm couldn't figure out. <laughs> I guess that's a comedy. I think that it's just, it's so, it's such a specific taste or especially at that time it was such a specific taste in comedy that it's like i don't know if i suggest this to people who like adam sandler or if i suggest this to people who like 
Wes Anderson or like what I do would I do with suggest this? this to people I would ask them to show me a photograph of them in fourth grade and when I see what they look like <laughs> I'm like this film is for you or I go like fuck off this is not for you uh would it have been for me I would have had spiked hair and a puka shell necklace and a button-up t-shirt with flames on it okay here's the here's the thing I picked fourth grade because that was like a particularly awkward time for me. Show me a picture of your awkward face. Like, how awkward is it? All right. Yeah. And then if. Okay. That would have been when I had braces and I was starting to grow my hair out. So the temples were just really poofy, but everything else looked like a short. And then ask them, what's the dorkiest thing you've ever said? And if they say you got three feet of air that time, or I can't fit my nunchucks in my locker anymore, something like that, you're like, okay, this is. For you. This, it's not going to be for the people who've just never have never had a hard time fitting in anywhere. Yeah. Like, it's like, have you ever been with a group of people and then laughed at something that no one else laughed at? This is for you. <laughs> so I didn't realize until like me sitting and watching like the like five different episodes of Veronica Mars that Deb is in it. She looks different when she's a normal person, huh? And when yeah. she's speaking normally. <laughs> She's like, I didn't recognize you without your sideways ponytail from 1988. I didn't recognize you not trying to sell uh, lanyards and keychains door to door. She's just trying to make money to go to college. I love her. Damn it. I was, I thought you were going to go, your mom goes to college. I'm like, damn it. I know that whole movie by heart, even though I have not seen it in probably 15 years. Because there was a weekend where we went to uh, see family and uh, every person who came in hadn't seen the movie before. So we put it on for them. So we saw it, God, at least six times. And I was like, I'm sick of this movie. I never want to see it again. And I have not. But I still know every single line of dialogue. Last month, Japanese scientists visited Loch Ness to try and blow Ness. Lake Loch Ness. (laughs) First they explaced and then placed explosives until local wizards... Saved our underwater ally. (laughs) Uh, Okay, my memory's a little bit spotty. I just remember the best bits. Well, we stopped talking about Clockwork. I know, I tried to stop this about ten minutes ago, but you kept going. So I was like, alright, let it go, let it go. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Tune in next month when we are going to finish out the 12 Boys I've Loved Before trilogy. Oh my god, I, I heard that as 12 Boys I've Loved Before. Is yep. that what you said? Okay. Nope. But Can we write been. a story called 12 Boys I've Loved Before? Yes. Okay. What are their names? Kyle. Uh-huh. Petrie. Yeah. Jeff. Uh-huh. Max. Dr. K. Elmo. Uh-huh. That's, we're halfway there. Petrie again. <laughs> Craig. But but he'd gone through like a phase, so it was kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah. a different. Okay, so I've said Craig. Craig. All right. Uh, Aaron. Uh huh. Bear. Timmy. And finally, the best one, Damien. <laughs> cool. I couldn't think of a single normal name. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it should be gay. Yeah, that's fine. Twelve boys I love it before, and it takes place at Christmas. Josh, this would be amazing. <laughs> All okay. right. Anyway, we'll, we'll we'll workshop this and we'll get back to you guys next month. <laughs> if uh, you even leave this with... in, which I don't think you should. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna be back. We'll just surprise them with it. <laughs> guys, buy our book. <laughs> it's self-published on Amazon. 
Uh, hello, fellow kids. It's hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh, music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com. Uh, you can contact us, hfkpodcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter and Instagram, at hfkpodcast. Uh, we are available wherever you get podcasts. Please like and review us if you can. Uh, and uh, we will see y'all next month. Bye. Bye. I'm trying to suck the syrup out of my hair. Bye.